All right, this is the Chance of Gaming Podcast, episode 108. And with me always is Richard via St. Louis and Roy via Michigan. Good evening, everyone. Happy June. <laughs> hey, this is Roy from Michigan. Happy June to all of you guys. Okay, yeah, I, I did get that right. Yes, Richard, St. Louis, which is in... Yes. God, what state is St. Louis in? Are you serious? <laughs> I just, yeah, you got a uh, a um, a city designation. It's the gateway to the west. Yeah. St. Louis, Missouri, right. gateway to the west. We have the coolest national monument in the world. It is cool. Yes, it is. Well, so the town I'm from is Holland, Michigan, which is best known as the hometown of Betsy DeVos. So just take that <laughs> for what it's worth. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So people listening to this podcast in three years will say who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the the heir to the Amway fortune. Is she really? Is that where she got her That's, money from? Well, uh, actually, in a sense, okay. it was uh, her family and another family married together, and and her family was pretty wealthy to begin with, anyway. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I've only been hit up for Amway once. And it's when I, that was like two jobs ago and I started working and like uh, this guy just kind of approached me, you know, being friendly and, you know, you're friendly because it's like, hey, starting a new job. I'm going to meet people and be nice and all this stuff. And he was like, you know, well, you know, hey, how much you paying for bottled water or, you know, whatever. And it's like, what? And he ended up giving me this um, business card. It was business card shaped, but it was a CD-ROM, and you like put it oh. into your uh, your disk drive, and mm-hmm. it would give you this whole Amway spiel. And I was really afraid that like it would fly out and embed in my leg. So. Yeah, because don't those have to be balanced? Uh, supposedly it was. I put huh. it in, and it made a like weird noise, so I stopped <laughs> it and ejected it. And then I found out like. They're like, oh, yeah, that's John. You know, we've told him several times, and he'll get in trouble, um, you know, for because he keeps trying to sell people Amway. Every new person um, that comes in, he tries to sell them Amway, and I'm like, oh, okay, multi-level marketing scheme. Yes, I'm familiar. Now, you said fly out and embed in your leg. I thought you meant like a symbiont, like it was going to like uh... – Take over your brainwaves and everything, but you meant it was like physically going to fly out of there, like a like a ninja star. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, okay, cause, gotcha. Because like back in the day, you know, generally your tower was kind of on the floor, and because uh, like where I'm speaking now, it's behind my monitor, and they were big things, and it was you know it was pretty much like right knee height, and so I was mm-hmm. afraid this would come out and sever an artery, and that would be <laughs> that would be it, you know. Uh huh. Death by Amway. Hmm. Now, did he use the phrase buying from yourself? <sighs> I can't remember. It was a long time ago. And, I, like, I remember, like, he there was a big uh, convention on, like, the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and he went down there to it and slept in his vehicle instead oh. of actually getting a hotel room. And I'm like, all right, that tells me a lot that I need that's you how, to know. That's how you know you made it. Yeah. <laughs> Living in a van down by the river. Mm-hmm. <laughs> down by the coast, yeah. And our water is terrible. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, whether you believe it or not, this this uh, podcast is all about tabletop gaming. And so uh, <laughs> let, 
We'll get into that. And Amway. Multi-level marketing, the game. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Don't call it a pyramid scheme. No, it would be engine construction and screw your neighbor. Those would be the mechanics. (laughs) At the end of the podcast, I'll sell you some steak knives. It'll be a thing. (laughs) So uh, the first thing we usually do is what are you playing lately? And it's just like whatever you did in the past couple of weeks that we talked about. And Rich is going to start us off having played Time Stories Under the Mask. Yeah, we played another module of Time Stories, the same four of us, my daughter and my friend and his wife. And um, this one, uh, this module wasn't my favorite. I think part of it was, so we've played probably four modules of the game now and we're having a good time overall, Um, but it's getting a little too mechanical. You know, I really liked the storytelling aspect of it, and there's some neat mechanics in the game where only the person that goes to the location can see the card, and they have to kind of describe things to their neighbors as they see them. And there was one where uh, one of the characters he played was a dog, so you couldn't even read anything, so that was fun. Um, But now it's (laughs) – when we played this one, instead of like, okay, well, I see this painting, and this is what it looks like, it was more like – Okay, well, I get this item, and it allows us to open up this location. So, it wasn't wasn't quite as fun this time, and I don't know if it was because of the module or the mood of the party that night or whatever. But overall, I'm really enjoying Time Stories, just not so much this particular module. So, okay. And uh, the next thing you had was Carthage. Yeah, we played that at our St. Louis Historical Gaming Society day, which was. I don't know, last week or the week before. Work's been crazy and everything's running together. But it was a great game, and I highly recommend it. It was it was a Kickstarter. I don't own it, um, and I don't I don't know how you could buy it now. It's probably just available. You know, Kickstarters often, you can still buy them afterwards, and I think this is one of those. Well, but it, it's, it, uh, it, it does have a webpage, and I'll link this in the show notes. It's cartridgegame.com, okay. and it looks like you can buy it from there. Okay, good. Yeah, because I highly recommend it. It was a lot of fun. It's a it's a gladiator game. You know, the board is is a tiny little hex grid. It's a a circle of hexes basically, or hex of hexes. I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe twenty hexes across. So it's small. Um, and every character, every player, one to five players. You can there's there's a solitaire mode. There's a co-op mode where you can play against um, you know bears and lions and stuff. But you play oh gladiator. Yeah. <laughs> And you get to put your little guy on the board, and they all start off on the outside, and you move toward the middle. Um, so it's a deck builder. You Everyone starts with the same deck, and you buy better cards and try to get the bad cards out of your deck, just like any deck builder. The one thing that I thought this was interesting, I've never played a deck builder like this before. You draw five like you do in every other deck builder I've played, but you only play one card at a time. So you play one card, and that's your whole turn. Then they go to the next person, then the next person. And everyone plays one card, and then obviously when you exhaust your deck, then you reshuffle everything together. But it was an interesting mechanic because it made it go really fast, and it felt more like fast-paced combat. So you you may play a card, and you're okay, well, this allows me to move two spaces next to you, but that particular card didn't have any attacks on it, so now I'm next to you, and it's your turn. So there was very interesting tactics involved in the game, and I I really liked it a lot. I will say, the um, looking at the board, it reminds me of another game. Have you ever heard of Titan? I have not. 
No. It, um, it, I want to say it was, and I'm pulling this up. Yeah, I'm stalling, so yeah, be stalled. Okay, yeah, uh, I was right. It was an old Avalon Hill game, and I'll link this in the show notes. Um, it was an Avalon Hill game. That's how I played it, because uh, some of the old-timers in the club I was in uh, played it, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. And it has been republished uh, by, apparently, Valley Games Classic. Huh. And uh, it's it's neat, and I will say there is a, um iPad uh, app for it, so you can actually play it that way if you want. But the board looks almost similar. It's that hex space kind of do you know thing, and yeah, it's you just kind of move around as a hero and you fight monsters in it. But yeah, okay. And the other thing it reminded me of um, wasn't there another gladiator game that was really big i know i'm thinking like circus maximus but that was like chariot racing i don't know so yeah i don't remember those i don't i don't remember any other game like this for sure this is um i mean if you've played deck builders you understand the basic mechanics which is good um but there was one guy in our group that had never played a deck builder before and he picked it up right away so um it was fun it was a lot of fun i highly recommend it now you have miniatures for it, right? Yes. Yeah, there are five minis. So in the in the co-op game where you play monsters, I mean where you play against like bears and lions and I don't oh. even know what. We didn't play the co-op game, so I don't oh know my. what else is yeah. in there. Yeah, oh my. But those were <laughs> those were tokens. Uh, but the actual player guys were, were minis. All right. Cool. Yeah. So the next thing you had was D-Day at Peleu. Yeah, this is what I've got on my table now. It's a solitaire game, um, but I'm really enjoying it. It's uh, it's an island in the Pacific that the Marines invaded during World War II. Um, I thought it was interesting because, one, I just finished reading Unbroken, so the whole Pacific War thing was on my mind. Um, when I was in the Navy, I sailed past Peleliu and never set foot on it, but I saw it with my own eyes. So um, I just thought it was interesting. It's got some, some fun mechanics in it and it's really hard so it's uh the the i've even read online a lot of people are kind of complaining about the victory conditions which you know some people really care to win i i don't care i i enjoy playing it i mean as long as it's not so hard that it's just dumb i've i played games that i thought well this is just impossible and not worth playing this one is very difficult and hard to win but apparently when they developed the victory conditions off of this they went by the original plans for the invasion rather than what actually happened so even the u.s marine corps didn't meet their own victory conditions in this game apparently (laughs) but it's a lot of fun so you're saying no pressure no pressure to no pressure i haven't i haven't done it yet but it's still fun playing it's uh there's no dice involved which is another thing that i like uh it is card based so the action uh, the actions of the enemy are based on what card you draw. So that's how they do the randomization. And basically the enemy has a certain number of positions that they fill on the board. And uh, each position has a certain field of fire. And if you draw the color for that position and you have units in that field of fire, you're going to take hits. So your job is to wipe the enemy out of those positions, but it's hard to do when they keep disrupting your guys on the beach. So that's why naval invasions are difficult. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. 
All right, and the last thing you had was Pendragon Fall of Roman Britain. Yeah, we played that one at St. Louis Historical Gaming Society as well. Uh, we just we wanted to play something for four players, and that's a coin game, and I've always got a coin game with me. Um, we've talked a little bit about coin games before. This is, I think this is the newest one that has actually been released, or a couple more that will be out soon. And it takes place about 450 AD, basically about the time that the Romans told the Britons, okay, good luck, we're leaving. And it's about the the two groups of former Romans, the British citizens that are vying for power, as well as the, the Saxons and the, the Celts uh, doing, again, naval invasions and raiding on them and trying to um, both steal their gold and also settle on their land. So there's... I like this one a lot. It was this is probably the most complex coin game that I've played, um, probably even more so than Fire in the Lake. I think um, so. We were all kind of wrapping our head around it, even though we all had some coin experience already. Uh, we only played one turn of it. We're gonna play it again. A lot of fun, but it was pretty complex. Um, I, one thing I did like about it, and this is part of the complexity, is that there were lots of moving parts on the board like for the two invasion you know, the, the saxons and the celts um they you know they need to decide do i want to take this gold back with me and get points this way or do i want to leave my guys here and then try to actually settle in britain and start taking land away from them and then once you start taking land away from you from the i played the the dukes the the red romans um then the Red Romans and the Blue Romans can actually at that point start co-opting you and giving you land, but also basically impelling your guys into service and being able to use your warband for their own purposes. So it's it's very interesting. I liked it a lot. Uh, if you like coin games and you don't mind a more complicated one, I would recommend it. Hmm. But there are much simpler coin games. If you If you're not familiar with coin games, I would probably start with a simpler one. I know. Uh, is a, that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Is that counterinsurgency? Is that? Yes. Was that what coin stands for? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think there's there's probably seven or eight in the series so far, with a couple more announced. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people have mentioned uh, this particular game. It's like super popular, and uh, it's GMT produces it. And uh, yeah, like yes. I said, it, it's it's part of the coin system. And yeah. Yep. I know a lot of people have mentioned it. So. It so that's what on, I've been playing. It's on my list for sure. Roy, you've been playing Kalos. Yes. Uh, so there's there's several different worker placement games, and I believe that this is maybe one of the first or the first. Um, so it's uh, you're you're building a castle, and there's a road that that comes out of the out of the castle, and so there's a few fixed points on the road, um, and then everything else after that is kind of random. And uh, so it's, yes, it's a worker placement game, and uh, it's kind of built around uh, money. So if you place a worker, you send him out, and he'll get, uh, let's say, wool or, or uh, stone for you. And then you can go into the castle and start, build it, start working to build the castle. And so if you um, build the, enough uh, buildings for the king, then he'll give you a favor which will get you victory points or money or goods or other stuff. Um, so it's, it kind of scratches that same itch as Agricola as far as um, how 
complex it is. Has anybody played Kalus? I know it's been through several different printings. I've not played this one. I've played Agricola. I played Caverna. Um, mm-hmm. I played Viticulture, which is similar, but Agricola and Caverna are very similar. Ah, uh, I'm familiar yeah. with it enough. I uh, remember people talking about it locally. You're right. It is one of the first worker placement games, and so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I... Uh, and it's it's one of those games, just like Agricola, that like I have, there's so much that I need to do, and I don't have the the time or the people to do all of it. And with that game, it's it's money. Like I may have the workers to put out there, but if I can't pay them to be where they need to be, then I can't put them out. Yeah, with like food in Agricola or yeah. Caverna. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, Agricola. And then uh, I also, I haven't played that many games here lately. But I got in some more plays of Century Spice Road, uh, which I mentioned before. And that's by Plan B Games. And uh, the game is published in a trilogy. So there's Century Spice Road, Century Eastern Wonders, and the name of the third one escapes me. And they'll be released over the course of three years. The second one will be released this year. And uh, I was pleased to see that they're going to be at Dice Tower Con, which I'll be going to at the beginning of July in Orlando. And so I'm really hoping that I'll be able to demo and maybe even buy the the second uh, game in there. And that's called Century Eastern Wonders, and it's available for pre-order now. Um, Yeah, I I, I enjoy Spice Road. It feels a little bit like uh, Splendor. Yeah, I've never played this one. I played Splendor. I've heard good things about this one. If I... If I see this one on the shelf at my game store, uh, I definitely want to, you know, the lending library, I want to take this one down and take a look at it. Yeah. It's, uh, um, the artwork is very nice, and uh, the, it's, it's cube-based, so you're collecting cubes, and then you're turning those cubes in for points. Um, and then uh, I've been playing disc golf. Uh, I played just once, <laughs> and uh, I mentioned on, on Twitter, uh, I saw that, that Adam had made note of that, so I, I played, uh, it was a nine-hole course at a church, and so it was um, uh, volunteer-maintained, so the, the, some of the groundskeeping was a little, little lacking, so I, I had to dig through some poison ivy, and, and thankfully I didn't get, uh, I managed to avoid all that, but uh, that, was, that was fun, and it's, you know, it's, it's walking with a purpose, or uh, what, what did Twain say about, about golf? It's a, a pleasant a good walk. walk spoiled. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So, um, disc golf is is much more accessible for people, and um, so yeah, it's and I'm sure that you can find a, a course wherever you are and to to give it a play. And I believe the discs maybe will run you a set will maybe run you twenty bucks. Yeah, my mother-in-law actually got us a, a starter set for Christmas, and still in the packaging oh, yeah. because we haven't um, with my. Work's been crazy, but this summer we're definitely going to break those out, and I know there's a few <laughs> courses around here, so. Ah, all right. Yeah, what it's... What playing, Adam? Oh. Uh, well, yeah. I was going to say, uh, uh, disc golf is interesting uh, in the sense that there's a lot of it around in my area. Generally, any state park in Mississippi has a disc golf course. Yeah. And I just wanted to comment... Because I work with a guy who will probably never hear this, so I'll feel free to talk. Um, <laughs> who is insane into disc golf. 
it is like the only it's it's like his being the core thing at his being is disc golf it's like he is a disc golfer first and then oh, wow. every everything else next and it's yeah. like you you can't even casually mention it's one of those people that you can't casually mention something to it's like oh uh, you know i i played some disc golf and he'll just go nuts and just be like, well, you know, where did you play? What did you do? What are you using? And blah 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 blah. And it just goes on and on. And it's funny, oh, you can you can always tell hardcore disc golf players because they don't call it disc golf; they call it golf. Really? <laughs> yes, I swear. I ran into that because I talked about. I was like, oh yeah, you know, I played golf the other day. I was like, oh really? And he was like, oh really? What what course did you play on? And I'm like, oh, I played at Bay Point. Oh. That's golf with sticks. That's oh, not real golf. golf you know. <laughs> so That's not real Adam, golf. <laughs> would it be safe to say that this guy is disc golf cancer? Uh, uh, he could be. He's not a All very right. good. Um, uh, how do you say ambassador a, uh, for the sport? Ambassador for the sport. He's he's not a good ah, ambassador gotcha. for the sport. Yeah, I knew All a right. guy that was really into it. He had actually a small course set up in his backyard. But he was nice about it. He was just like one of those guys that if you came over, he'd get out his own discs and say, hey, come on, I'll show you how to play. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, this guy. It? He has the, uh, the the hole, I guess. Is that is that the correct thing? Yeah, I don't you know, know what you call it, but it's like a little little pole with chains that make right. a sort of a basket. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he has one of those in his backyard that he practices in. So, <laughs> you know, that's the whole thing. Anyway, right. moving on to what I've been playing. Uh, my wife's been out of town this weekend, so I've been at the gaming store like every day. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Saturday I played Age of Sigmar, which is Games Workshop's uh, fantasy game. And I finally got my little Kadron overlords with their steampunk ships to uh, out on the table and uh, lost that game. But it's it, to me, it's been interesting because I've been out of Games Workshop Gaming for probably six or seven years. So I've missed like three or four different editions. So learning things from like the bottom up has been really interesting. And so did, did you ahead. buy back in or did you borrow something? What would you do? Or did I you did, use old stuff? I did buy back in. Okay. You know, I've always talked about on this that I'm, you know, I'm the worst. If something sits around <laughs> my storage long enough, I'll dump it out on eBay, and then maybe nine months later I'll buy it back. You know, <laughs> I, I'm terrible because especially when I'm a guy who pays people to paint his miniatures. So if I have an army and I, well, I'm like, well, this is sitting around for a long time. I'll just sell this, and then nine months later I have to buy all the figures again and then i have to pay people to paint it again and then yeah i'm terrible terrible with that kind of stuff um but you're helping the local economy yeah as i say you are an economy driver for sure (laughs) right absolutely so um you know honestly your local store is just it's whatever which way the wind blows as to what's popular and what's big and you know honestly Games Workshop stuff, you'll always be able to find a game. Generally, 40K more than Age of Sigmar, but yeah, you can always find a game wherever you live. Uh, 
especially I think Magic the Gathering is the first thing. You wherever you live, if you live in the middle of the Gobi Desert, I feel confident that you can find a Magic the Gathering game. Yep. I was out gaming today, uh, playing Warhammer Forty Thousand, and apparently there was this huge Magic Pro tournament going on. So there's forty plus Magic guys in there playing. And there were a couple of girls, too, which is always weird to see at a uh, gaming store. And I was like, dadgum, I feel sorry for you gals in here having to put up with all these <laughs> neckbeard dudes. But, um, you know, it was happening today, and it was the, the whole thing. I mean, it was like just elbow to shoulder. You, It was so tight in there. And it's a pretty good-sized store. But, yeah, that was happening today as I played... 40k and did I find one via objectives playing my Adeptus Mechanicus little admet guys he the guy my opponent was not really paying attention to objectives and I managed to sneak in and win so yay me name of the game it's more fun yeah. to kill people but objectives are what win that is very true I'm sorry that's that's we're talking about Age of Sigmar here right well, okay, it was Age of Sigmar Saturday, and today okay. it was Warhammer 40,000. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a little bit of a lore question. Go ahead. Just as an aside, what is Warhammer 30K? Uh, 30K takes place during the, and I can't believe I know this, because I'm, I'm like the worst guy you should ever ask this, but I actually know it. Um, it is 30K takes place obviously 10,000 years before 40k but it takes mm -hmm. place during the quote-unquote Horus heresy one of the big things in the lore for Warhammer 40,000 was the Horus heresy where one guy uh, decided to rebel against the Emperor and convinced a bunch of other people to go with him and so that's what that is it's old stuff it's old tech the way 40K is, is a lot of things have been lost. Lots of cool weapons and vehicles and stuff like that have been lost over 10,000 years. But in 30K, it's all right there. Everything you can think of is there. Mm -hmm. It's all brand new and fieldable. And yeah, it's just um, another way to play the game. And I know Games Workshop sells it via, you can't buy it in the store. It's web exclusive, and mm -hmm. so you buy the Horace Heresy stuff, and that's where it comes from. Okay. Are the models interchangeable? Can you can you kind of proxy the models from 40K over? Well, you know, depending on whoever you're playing with, you can proxy whatever. But okay. the, uh, 30K has become so popular that they have started producing um, rules for it uh, in 40K if you wanted to play it because you know it okay. helps them helps them sell that more you know right uh-huh okay all right the question last answered thing, thank you yeah <laughs> the last thing i had i just wanted to mention um i noticed just some issues with dice in playing like when i was playing age of sigmar i have my old uh rounded corner games workshop dice they're really small which when you play games workshop stuff you're gonna drop a bucket of dice always mm -hmm. and so i have these things and we uh a guy 
in our group is a carpenter, so he built these long dice trays that you can roll in. And mm-hmm. it's really nice. It puts it all there. Everybody can see what you're rolling. And, you know, uh, but I noticed my old school rounded corner dice spin. A lot of times they'll get on the corner and they'll sit there and spin for like 20 seconds as we just ex- <laughs> exchange, uh, you know, awkward glances back and forth. Like, is that a six? Is it a one? Is it a six? Is it a one? So that was like super annoying. <laughs> and what I decided today was I dug around in my stuff and I found bigger dice that are square cornered. And I took them out and they rolled a lot better. But they're huge. They take, I mean, it sounds like, you know, a car wreck when I'm dropping like 30 <laughs> of them, you know. So I'm actually interested um, in looking for some small square cornered dice and i actually went to chessex dot com which is like well if you're gonna buy dice they're the dice Uh people yeah and i don't think they have any yeah i was thinking about that because when i got here i stand last year here i stand you need a lot of d6s and ideally in two different colors because you know for some of the battles you might have one guy throwing 10 and one guy throwing 12 count up all the fives and sixes so i bought a bunch of a a big thing of D6s in blue and a big thing in red, but I'm pretty sure those are round-cornered, so that doesn't help. I The only really square-cornered dice I've seen have been, like, the the nice metal ones. I know I've seen square-cornered. It's rare to even see plastic square-cornered ones, so. Or okay, center, I, I got it for whatever. you here. The website you want is Game Science. Okay. Oh, they're yeah. the ones that have like the super accurate ones, apparently. Yeah. All right. Uh, hold on. We're gonna talk about game science. <laughs> and All right. Well, I'll, I'll tell you why. Is game science features? Um, what is the guy's name? Oh, damn it. Uh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Game science features Mississippi's own Lou Zaki. He is the guy that is behind Game Science and those dice. And I actually have some. But uh, the only my only issue with it is, and I use them for like uh, Advanced Squad Leader or stuff like that. Anything that I have that's basically 2D6, I'll roll with them. Yeah, man, those corners are so sharp, you will literally yeah. stab yourself. <laughs> it's like stepping well, on a Lego. Yeah, don't get ab- a, absolutely. Don't get a D4, you'll kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's Game Science puts those out, and Lou Zaki is his name, and um, he's been a staple of the um, convention scene in Mississippi forever, forever. And he, apparently, he's been making these dice since about '74, and he goes through the whole thing. And I'll, I'll link this in the show notes. Uh, a link to the website and some uh, YouTube videos where he talks about it. He was at uh, Gen Con as of 2015. Now, I will say, as we record this podcast, GameScience.com will not load. So, don't know what's going on there or, or whatever. Okay, sorry. Oh. My bad. It just popped up. It's because I'm on it. It took three tries on my end to, to get up. And, uh, yeah, they sell a bunch of different stuff, but, yeah, they're mainly known for those um, scientifically proven, you know, random dice. 
Yeah. Uh, and and yeah, he's Mississippi owned. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure he still lives on the Gulf Coast. And yeah, I've seen the guy. I can't tell you how many times at various um, conventions over the years. But yeah, although I'll, I still think they're pretty big, though. Yeah, I th- I think that may be an issue for what I'm looking for, since I'm looking okay. for like really small. But eh, yeah, we'll see. We'll uh-huh. see, but yeah, I I just had to talk about <laughs> game science because you know there isn't much we get in Mississippi, especially gaming related. So just gonna mention that. <laughs> anyway, uh, the next segment we have is what's on your radar, where you just kind of stumble upon stuff like, oh yeah, hey, well, let's let's talk about that. And the first thing I have on here is the Vampire CCG is coming back. I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Vampire the Masquerade, the role-playing game. Yeah, we talked about it a few weeks ago, Vaguely, I think. Yeah. Right. It, uh, it, to me, listing this on here is important because here in the South, Vampire was huge. And I know I've talked about this before, but I'll just reiterate. Vampire the Masquerade was really, really big uh, down here in the South. The, it was built around live-action role-playing. And, I mean, there were whole bars in New Orleans that were a constant vampire LARP. And so, as big as it was, much like everything else in the 90s, they decided to make a CCG. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, to compete with magic. Because, you know, hey, who knows who's going to come out on top. And so they put out this thing. I I had a ton of the cards. In fact, I may still have them. I can't even remember what it was called because there was a werewolf one put out by the same company. And there was Vampire the Eternal Struggle, which was their collectible card game. And it is coming back. It's uh, apparently they're doing these... uh, reprints of multiple cards and then coming out with some other stuff. So, so when they say... Gonna, go ahead. When they say it's coming back, is it literally just a reprint, or have they updated any any rules or anything like that? Do you know? Well, uh, according to the press release from BlackChantry.com, and I'll list, list this in the show notes, they are reprinting uh, a bunch of it. And uh, plan on actually, yeah, because it was known as Jihad in 1994. It was actually created by Richard Garfield, you know, the guy that created Magic the Gathering. So, I mean, hey, how could you lose? It was this huge role playing game, and now this card game is created by, you know, Richard Garfield. Surely it will be a success. No, it was not. Um,. So it's it's they're gonna put it back into print and then do additional stuff. They're gonna reprint the old stuff and then do additional stuff. So there you go. And one of the main reasons why I listed this is one of my absolute favorite things as a tabletop gaming geek is listening to people tell their story about what did you sell your magic cards to buy? And a guy in my local shop famously sold all just tra- I'm sorry traded all of his magic cards for to get into this game and he was like oh. man 
He was like, I just want to put a gun to my head when I think about the dollar amount. That, I made a terrible mistake. Yes, yes I, made a, I made a huge mistake. Yes, in the words of Job. Yes, oh my gosh. Yeah, and you get a lot of those stories, and uh, I find it fascinating. It's like, what did you get rid of your magic cards to buy? Because, you know, hey, I read an article not too long ago that talked about, like, hey, don't buy gold, don't buy silver, don't invest <laughs> in a 401k. Beanie buy, babies. Yeah, but well, buy classic magic cards. They're like, they never, never in the history of magic have they, you know, been, you know, uh, the bottom fell out of it. Never. And they're like, you have that whole other thing of, well, like, well, you can play it if you want to. You know, you can play classic magic, you know, with these things. I swear I thought about it. Like, you know, hey, this new set's out. What is the, uh,. The, the hotness with it. Look, give me $100 worth of the hotness, and I'll just toss it in a binder and throw it in the back of my closet, and I'll dig it there out in five years. Yeah. yeah. I'm November gonna, 2013, the Black Lotus sells for $27,302. Holy cow. And I thought wow. ASL was bad. <laughs> in 2013? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's got to be more than that now. It's ridiculous. Because that, that's I, their main thing is they don't reprint. In mm-hmm. any of the old stuff, and so it just keeps going up in value. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> the next thing I had was Interbellum, an RPG that is up on Kickstarter. And the main reason why I tossed it on here is because I really dig weird World War One. And yeah, this has it. You'll see it in the show notes. It has that awesome artwork look you know come on gas mask and guns and yeah bad things that are happening biplanes are awesome yeah so it's got to be zombies in it right uh yeah you would think (laughs) as of we record this oh shit it has 70 hours to go so depending how lazy i am you may be able to kind of get over here and get in on this if not you know just catch it later I do like the fact that for 15 bucks I can get the PDF, which is really good. That's probably cheaper than it would be on drive-through RPG. So yeah, it's it that kind of thing is worth it to me. Yeah, when we uh, I mentioned a couple shows ago, we're playing a, a cartoon setting of Dungeons and Dragons, and we've already got the D and D books and everything, but the the GM obviously owns the cartoon book and the rest of us just bought the pdf because we can flip through it and find what we need and it's a lot cheaper that way so is this a a rule set or is it just a setting what is this do you know looking at it it appears to be a complete rule set slash setting okay so it, it does not fit into anything else so apparently you would just buy this and then you know that's that's what you need to yeah. play in this yeah mm. Yeah, that'd be something. I mean, it it looks interesting. I can see playing in it. There's a lot. There's there's some really good generic rule sets out there now that for something this that's very niche as far as the setting, if my, if I had players come to me and they said, "We want to play World War 1 with magic and zombies." I'd say, "Okay, let's play Genesis or let's play Cypher and I'll just I'll homebrew that or or add this setting in or something like that rather than actually trying a, a new rule set for it. I'm getting kind of a side vibe to this too. 
with the world. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. 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 The next thing I had was Solomon Kane, which is coming out as a board game, and uh, I believe it's on Kickstarter, and that's where it's come from. And I'm so soured on Kickstarter. Yeah, I'm not gonna do much with that. But uh, I'm not soured on Kickstarter, but I'm starting to get soured on these board games with minis. There are a thousand of them out there, and they all kind of look the same to me now. That's true. I, I, I don't know. For me, it's like I want my board games to have just counters, and I want my miniature games to have miniatures. I'm not interested in cross-pollinating. You know, that's just me. Yeah, it's not even that so much for me. It's just that, I don't know, glancing at this, this looks like a lot of other games that have come out recently, and most have been a Kickstarter. And maybe it's just another one of those things like we've talked about, that there's somebody out there that hears Solomon Kane and is writing the check before they know anything else about it. But there's a lot of these out there now that kind of look the same. I mean, this looks like even you know Kingdom Death Monster or any number of those. And this is Mythic Games, is is the people that are putting this out. So that is that what French company, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what else they've done. I know I've I've seen their name do some other stuff. So. Oh, they're the people that did Joan of Arc and Pantheon is the uh, the Mythic okay. battles. Yeah, yeah. And isn't so. Joan of Arc another minis on a board game Kickstarter? <sighs> yeah okay we've, we've talked about my, yeah we've yeah. talked about my, my frustration with Joan of Arc I saw it at last year's Gen Con fell in love with it because it's 15 millimeter for one thing and you don't see that a lot with these these um, games and they threw it up on Kickstarter and it was ridiculous they were like yeah I need about $300 to, uh, to buy this game and I'm like you're out of your mind I'll buy it at discount when you know the Kickstarter ends and it goes the thing and they're like, eh, well, we might not do that. I'm like, whatever. I'm, I'm pretty sure you will. <laughs> now, granted, it was a lot of minis, but it's just, yeah, the the price point was not there with with that. So, anyway. But yeah, they're doing Solomon Kane and it looks to be 28, 30 millimeter miniatures, if not more. I dig Solomon Kane. I like um, that basically that's the Pike and Shot era of um, history when it comes to weapons. He's this guy that you know doesn't take shit off people, and he has a flintlock pistol and a sword, and yeah. So I dig that, but yeah, I'm not interested in kickstarting it. So whatever. Moving on to the fall of Delta Green. Now. There are two er, um, times of conflict, times, eras of conflict that are really, really horrible for people as (laughs) just in in general. I know they all were, but I mean, damn, if you've read anything about World War One, it was utter hell. You just mean for humanity in general. Yes. Like the people fighting the wars. Especially the soldiers. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a great uh, book, I'll link this in the show notes, uh, called I Deep in Hell, which is a German soldier's biography of World War I. But uh, what always comes to mind after World War I is Vietnam. 
because, you know, it's, it's an American thing, and we dealt with a lot, lot of casualties and stuff like that. So we talked about weird World War One. This is weird Vietnam, weird. which I don't think, you know, there's a lot of out there. No, I have never seen a Vietnam Cthulhu crossover before. And, <laughs> and that's what that is. This is the fall of Delta Green, and it's put out by... Helen Green Press, uh, who do a lot of other Cthulhu stuff. They do Gumshoe and uh, some other stuff. They have some 13th Age and etc. And Dying Earth and some other stuff. They, I mean, they're well known. They've got a lot of stuff out there. So I just thought this was cool. And uh, it's, it's an original idea, and I just thought I'd mention it. So moving on. Interesting. Um, I, I guess I should have thrown this up uh, right under the vampire thing because, yeah, I have friends locally that talked about how they traded their magic cards for the Star Wars card game. Now, Apparently, that one just ahead. recently got ended, didn't it? Didn't they recently kill that game? I mean, obviously, the, the people are still going to play it, but I think that one officially ended recently. I don't know. Uh, that would be their current one. I think is Destiny. Is, no, not Destiny. Is? Destiny is fairly new. There's, I think it's maybe Star Wars LCG just ended. Maybe. Uh, what I have here is the people that are still playing the uh, CCG, which is the Star Wars customizable card game. So that's gotta be an old one then. Yeah, it, this is just an article about people still playing this. I can't believe it. It's it's so... Just the fact that they, they're doing tournaments and, and stuff like that, and yeah. I mean, nobody has put this stuff out in, in forever. And uh, here you go. Here's a bunch of people still playing the game. It's, it's enough that they even, like, stream out matches and stuff like that. So I found it fascinating enough that I'd just toss it on here. Apparently they're doing uh, new cards as well to it, uh, which I'm assuming is they're not using official artwork yeah. or anything. Fan-made. Uh, yeah, it has to be. But, yeah, the rule book is 158 pages. Holy and, cow. Yeah, I know. I, I couldn't believe that either. <laughs> I have some pretty heavy war games. <laughs> there are a lot less than 158-page rule books. I know. It makes me look over here at my ASL <laughs> rule book. But, yeah. That one's more I, than 158. I, yeah, I know. It, it is. But, yeah, I'm just fascinated by just people that are like, you know what? I love this game so damn much. I am going to just play it. I don't care if it's officially supported or, or whatever. I don't think I've ever been that passionate uh, about a game. I, I don't know. I guess if they killed Battletech or something, I might be like, oh, man, yeah, I'm still playing this. Anybody want a game? Anybody? Somebody? But, yeah, I don't know. It is great, anyway. though. I mean, there's there's an interesting thing right now with a lot of old stuff that's coming back for nostalgia's sake and people are putting money into it because they want to play something they paid 30 years ago and then there's always the cult of the new that i fall for as much as anyone hey new game let's go pick this one and check it out and um but there's 
there's not that many games that people have been continuously playing for that long a time. ASL is one of them, and I haven't been playing it that long, but certainly other people have. I know people have been playing it for a long time. Yeah, and yeah, that's that whole weird thing where it. The, what kill always kills me about it is the main things kind of go out of print, and they'll go out of print for like at least six months, sometimes over a year. And it's like, why are you letting that kind of stuff go out yeah. of print? Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's there's no reason that MMP should ever let their starter kits go out of print because those are great. I mean, those are a great way to get people into an addictive and complicated game. And those starter prints, I mean, those, those starter kits should be on sale everywhere. They should be on sale at Target and Walmart. Yeah, but I mean, even past the starter kit, the Beyond Valor. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I I was. Yeah. I just saw someone on Reddit saying they couldn't find a copy of it, and I, I even sent him a, a PM and said, "I've got. There's a copy at my local gaming store. I'll pick it up for you and ship it to you if you want." But he never responded. But yeah, that's what I hear. And I mean, personally, I'm, I'm waiting for the Pacific. There's going to be a Pacific starter kit coming out later this year that I'll pick up. But the Pacific module. I really want to get. I mean, that's going to be an insta-buy when they announce that that's going back in print. All right, uh, so the next thing we had was a Kickstarter called SSO, a semi-co-op narrative sci-fi game for one to six players. And I was initially attracted to the artwork for this. Uh, I kind of just like the idea of, like, you know, you end up on the ship, where something's gone wrong and there's nobody there. What do you do? I like the idea of semi-co-op. I think that's pretty cool when technically you're all on the same team, but you know one player is contributing more or doing more. And I, I like that idea of semi-co-op. I, I'd be interested to see how that uh, how that works itself out. So that that, I, that, yeah. that description ahead. reminds me a little bit of Gloomhaven. The, the the things that I've learned about Gloomhaven, where it's that, you're 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 co-op mostly, but you know you're also kind of out for yourself too. Yeah. So continue, please. Yeah, I I just dig it the sense that it's sci-fi and the artwork as that we record this as of this podcast being recorded, they wanted, which I find fascinating, they wanted eight thousand nine dollars. <laughs> Why nine? You know, that just, yeah. Why nine? Why not 8,100 uh-huh. or 8,010 or just wow. 8,000? So if they, they wanted that. If they get 8,008, right? will it fail to fund? <laughs> uh, apparently so. Um, but as of this podcast, and I'll link this in the show notes, um, they have raised $8,989. So they've made their goal. And they have 12 days left to go. With 363 backers, let's see, the minimum you can do is 10 bucks, which, I'm sorry, 10 pounds, which is $13. You get the base set, including the AI challenge deck, the rule book, 74 cards, and 56 punch tokens. That's not bad. $13 to get, you know, all of that. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And for three dollars more, you can get a signed edition, uh-huh. which which is the base set. 
So, I mean, I guess this is more or less kind of like a little deck-building type game. So, yeah. moving on, um, we have a train idea, a dinosaur fossil stress rock. This is $15 <laughs> for one dozen rocks. <laughs> yes, so that's from me. So my daughter, maybe she went to the dentist or something, but she came home with this little, it's a, it's a foam rock, and it's an inch and a half tall, and it's two and a half inches wide and about four inches long. And it's got a little dinosaur on, on one side. It's flat. So you can set it on the table and it, you know, it makes a nice little terrain piece. And it's, so it's from Oriental Trading and it's, uh, for $15, you get a dozen of them. Um, so I, you know, I know we play a lot of, a lot of miniature games or we try to at least. Um, but I thought that this would make a decent, uh, uh, low cost bit of terrain that you can throw down on your table. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree completely. Uh, given the terrain that I have faced and like had to hide behind stuff, this is perfect. Mm-hmm. Do you guys ever play uh, miniature war games at home, or do you always go to the gaming store to play where they got the nice tables and lots of terrain? I do a little bit of both. When well, yeah, it's I like to go to a store and do it, but yeah. uh, I end up at home too. Yeah, if I play at home, terrain is going to be. Shoe boxes and books yeah. and stuff like that, you know, upside down cups. Um, Box of pop tarts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's my terrain <laughs> at home. <laughs> yep. I yeah, I rarely ever play at home. If I if I play at home, it would be probably a board game, more than anything. But yeah, it's I go to the shop and yeah, my local shop is great. You know, I I don't think I could ever think of anything negative to say about them. They they spent money for like mats and terrain and and stuff like that and yeah it's, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. So the next thing we had was the toys that made us on Netflix. Did I put yes. this on here? Uh, that was all. That was me. Oh okay okay. Yep. Tell us um, tell so, us about it. So uh, there's we're we're into the second season now and I believe there's maybe sixteen episodes and each one focuses on a different toy from the 80s or the 90s or whatever. So they have one on Star Wars toys. And they break down it's, the whole history of Star Wars toys, the whole history of Legos, and all of it. So it's, it's, actually, it's, it's actually, we are in the, it's in the first season, but they have put out the second half of the first season. Oh, okay. And the, fir- the first season so far is eight, eight uh, episodes. And the only reason I know this is because I had a friend that watched it and got all mad. I'm sorry, the first part of the first season, back before we just got this new second half, and got mm-hmm. all mad about it. It's like, well, how can they not do a Transformers episode or blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, if you listen to the intro, it says an eight-part an eight part documentary series. Da, 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 mm-hmm. da. And so, yeah, that's how Well, it so I want them to do one on D&D because I think there's a lot of history there, too. Um, but I don't know if that's probably not going to happen. We'll see. That would be really, really cool. And you would think as popular as it is yeah. with like uh, Stranger Things and, and stuff like that, kind of bringing it into the national conscious that, yeah, you would think. Yep. But. Yeah, now, I watched uh... the, the the Barbie episode of this of this show, and there's one scene where there's this woman that uh, she was a, a former president of Mattel, and behind her, there is a chair 
that is just every time I look at it, it's totally unsettling. It's it's <laughs> it's like like I, a I naked know, woman molded into a chair. I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Beca- because it, it, it drew my attention as well. I was like, what the fuck is that? It just, yep. It's so weird. And apparently it garnered so much attention that on their Facebook page, they did a little infographic about it. It okay. is actually a piece of art. Or, or something, it, it's called something, and it co- apparently it cost a bunch of money, and yeah, so there you go. It looks like somebody skinned a human and, like, draped it over a chair. Uh, yes, yes, it's so bizarre. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. And I'll okay. tell you, I'll link, that, I'll link that in the show notes, and you can see this weirdness. And yeah, if you have not seen this series on Netflix, it is fantastic. Yeah. There is a G.I. Joe episode. There is a Transformers episode. Barbie. And I just found it fascinating. Yeah. Even if it's stuff like Hello Kitty or whatever, you know, it's like this stuff is part of the He-Man episode. The, how they came up with that. It was literally, it was like, hey, we just had this idea. What do we call this guy? I was like, eh, I don't know. He-Man? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Yep. Yeah, I haven't seen the series. It's on my. I've got it flagged on my list. I'm gonna watch it eventually. But have you guys read of Dyson Men? Came out a couple years ago. Yeah, that's a very good book about D and D and you know the the sort of the history of D and D and some some people that play it as well. So it's I would highly recommend that one if you want to read a book. If they don't get to an episode of it on Netflix, there's there's a really good book that covers that. My daughter actually. Uh, uh did a paper about D and D and use that as a reference. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Really? Uh, moving on. Um, dice dungeon. What is that? So I, well, actually I just saw this as we were, uh, um, looking back and forth on board game geek. So this is a Kickstarter with six days to go. Uh, it is totally funded and it kind of looks a little bit like, um, connect four, so there's a there's a vertical grid that you stick dice into, and the dice are customized, or they're they're custom dice, um, with uh, like they're it's like a dungeon tile that you slide into this into this vertical rack. So the um, and again I don't know that much about it. It looks like it's wooden dice that slide into a wooden rack, and you you uh, um, you're, it's a two player game, and you slide them into this in in there, and you make a, a dungeon. And uh, apparently the dice that your opponent slides in will affect you, and then the dice that you slide in will affect your opponent, and you're trying to get through the dungeon. So it looks cute, and there's a lot of uh, die cut, like laser cut um, components to it. So anyway, Dice Dungeon looked interesting to me. It's pretty cheap to get into. It's like 25 bucks. You can actually get a copy of this game. So oh, it, there you go. Corners are rounded, so Adam's out. Oh. I don't know. It, it looked, they look a little square to me. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. So, yeah. Dice Dungeon. Moving on to news. Um, I'm not sure who listed this, but it's that was like, me. awesome to... Okay. Awesome to talk about. Uh, the first thing we had was Anita Sarkensian, ever how you say that, has been invited to speak at Gen Con. I think it's Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian, yep. okay. And I know, yeah, this was a huge, huge thing. 
um, in New York. And I know zero about Arnita Sarkeesian. I've never heard of her before until I, somebody pointed out that she was going to be there and, and they were upset about it. I actually follow her on YouTube. I don't watch all of her videos, but I've seen a number of them. And she's she's interesting to listen to. She says a lot of things that she'll say something. And I'll say, OK, you're overblowing that or I don't agree with that. But that's fine. I mean, I, I think she's interesting to listen to, and I think she makes a lot of good points. Um, I've only seen her talk about video games. So it's interesting now that she – I don't know if she is moving her influence into board games and tabletop or if, if Gen Con is just calling her in. I don't know the history of that. But I will say that it's interesting to listen to her talk about video games. Well, I will have to give a, give a listen to her because I did not have time to, to watch any of her videos. Um, but and I, I, will, I will give her the benefit of a doubt, but I, I know that there's a lot of people upset about her being there and about how she kind of at times has a reputation of being a troll. Yeah, I mean, I can I see that. I I, she, has, she has a point to make, and often when you, you want to push a point, you will you will color evidence the way you want it to be colored, and you will ignore evidence that doesn't meet your point. I mean, you can see that in 100% of the documentaries that have ever been made. She speaks in the same way as if she's doing a documentary that shows her point. But she does have mm -hmm. points to make. So, um, I mean, the question of you know whether the tabletop hobby suffers, I, I'm not that into video games. And I, as far as online video games, I... I think the last one I played was probably World of Warcraft, and I stopped playing that several years ago. So I, I can't really comment on the current culture of Overwatch and Xbox games and mm -hmm. all of that. Um, Nor can I. I. I see the jokes about it, and I hear my nephew. You know, my, when my when my mother's watching my nephew, she talks about she hears him and the language he uses, and she's constantly you know yelling at him to watch his mouth in the on the Xbox game. But mm -hmm. it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if women go on those games and, and feel threatened or at the very least disrespected. Yeah. I, I can say that I have not seen that in the tabletop world. Um, in my local uh, Legion group, there's, there's a woman that plays with us um, and – you know, everyone just treats her like another player. I have mm -hmm. um, a 17 year old daughter that likes to play games, and we go up to the game store and play all the time, and people just treat her like a player. So, that said, that's not everyone's experience. I get that. But I, I, don't, I don't know that it's as bad as video games. And part of that is because face to face is always going yeah. to be more respectful than over the yep. internet. All right. I, I am here. I can talk about this because, <laughs> because as an avid video gamer, and I can't believe I didn't throw this on here. I should have. But, um, okay. Anita is super controversial when it yep. comes to uh, video games. And the main reason why is it was like she kind of came out of nowhere. It's like we're all doing our thing. We're all playing our video games. We're all being misogynistic men. Do, do, do. <laughs> and we're just going along. And this Anita comes along and is like, oh, my gosh. I can't believe how bad video games are for women. And what I'm going to need is like $30,000 <laughs> or what, whatever it is. 
to buy a bunch of video games and write about them. And we're, you know, we kind of all look at her like, you're out of your mind. But people donated it. And whatever it is, it it's called Gamersgate. And sure. there's a lot of negative, some positive things with that. And so if you search Gamersgate, this is the whole thing. It exploded so on Reddit about maybe oh, a year and a half absolutely. or two years ago. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. insane. It was just utterly insane. So... She came along, came into the scene, and was like, this is bad, give me money. And people gave her money, and she kind of disappeared for a few months, and then came back and started releasing these little things about what she figured out. She even took a picture of, you know, the 50 or 60 games that she bought and decided to do a whole thing about it. And it was all about how, you know, men bad, women good, or whatever... You know, in it, it was in. It was huge. It was so polarizing in in video games. Although I will say, the majority. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say the majority of people did not agree with her because they're he-man, woman haters, or whatever. I don't know. She made a couple of good points, but I personally thought that I'm like, oh, you're kind of reaching when you're saying this or that or whatever. So she just to say she's a very controversial character, and to actually come in to you know to be at Gen Con, yeah, it's it's a thing. This is yeah. Eric Bischoff said controversy creates cash, and this may be true. I'm very curious to see how she is. Um, how do you say um, how they respond to her? Like, mm-hmm. is she going to give a talk? What? How is the audience going to act? You know, and, and that kind of stuff. It's a pretty big deal that she's there. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm Unfortunately, I will not be it this year. And uh, I'm very curious to see how people react to her. Uh, when it comes to tabletop gaming, <laughs> I will say... I have talked to a store owner recently without naming said store owner and he was like, you know, we just can't hire women here. And the reason why is is people... It's not that bad in the sense that people are sexually harassing them or whatever, but they just come up to them and talk to them constantly. Huh. So they can't actually do their job. It is too distracting to have them here. And that was to, from a, a store owner, you know, to, to hear that. It's like, I can't do it. It's like, we had one, and all it is are these, you know, dudes that just come up, and they're just like, you know, hey, baby, what yeah, you doing? So is that on the store owner, or is that on the just the, the creepy dudes? I And I would argue that it's not on the store owner. It's He's... Well, no. I mean, the reality is, yeah, it's on the creepy dudes. But I don't understand, like, as as a... And it's wrong. It is mm-hmm. absolutely wrong, and that's not anything I'm defending. But it's how do you defend against that? It's like when a store owner is like, I cannot hire women because of these fuckers that come in here and they're just, yeah, 
Uh-huh. They're creep. They, you know, they're creepy. All they want to do is is talk to this chick, and she can't do her job. So well, yeah, then maybe you get that you guy out of your store, and you don't yeah. let him back in. I mean, we yeah, that's that's what it comes down to. And this is, I mean, if if the guy is, it it, it doesn't matter what he's doing. If he's annoying your clerk and stopping your clerk, him or her, from working, he needs to leave the store. If he smells bad and he's bothering the other customers, you get him out of your store. I mean, mm-hmm. we've we've talked about this guy. We've talked about gaming cancer. You know, this is one of his versions. Yeah, you're right. You are absolutely right. So and, maybe uh, it's, yeah, it's on the store owner to put that on Front Street, saying, "Hey, you know, we're all here to play." And yeah. Being a creep is not to be tolerated. She doesn't want you. Fuck off, you know. Yeah, yeah. She's not interested in you. Which I think today at the Magic thing... Okay, the the main place you will see women are at Magic stuff. There were, I think, two. And it's like, oh, I I saw them. And I'm like, I I was like, oh my gosh. You poor young... You poor young lady, I, I hope you have a good time today. Yep. I mean, I can't I can't imagine having to go in there and being like, oh my god, I just want to play, I just want to be competitive and whatever. Not have some asshole is like, um, you know, be like, hey baby. Well, but you then know, if she whatever. beats a the guy, then then she's got that to contend with too. That you're you absolutely know, right. Yeah, I, that, that I is, beat the that guy, and now I've made him feel like less of a person or less of a man. <laughs> yeah, I think it just goes like, with oh. age, too. Younger guys are a lot more sensitive with that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's age, it's experience. I think anytime you, you know, the the more the more you see in the world. I mean, at, at, if you're 20 years old, you haven't had a lot of workplace experience, and if you're 30 or 40 or 50 years old, you've worked with enough women even if you were forced mm-hmm. to do so, that you kind of start to realize, hey, they're people, and I can treat them like people. Yeah. Mm. Whereas a 20-year-old might not have that same experience. So, well, but you know, kick them out of the store. That's that, yeah. that's. I mean, that's that whole argument with geeks are not um, socially adept and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, ugh, it's awful. But you're right. It's on the owner to throw the people out and just deal with it. Moving on. Speaking of controversy, <laughs> this thing has been super fucking controversial this week or the past couple of weeks. Games Workshop, in its infinite wisdom, has decided to do a line of books for kids called Warhammer Adventures. So they'll be in the fantasy realm of Age of Sigmar and 40k. Uh, and um, this has been incredibly controversial. The main reason why is is you know it's like grognards and well they're not yeah just the older people in the group they're like oh yeah you know I don't want my my hobby dumbed down to be kid friendly and blah 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 and yeah and you know I get that but. The reality is, is looking at this objectively, there is nothing, nothing about Warhammer 40,000 that is kid-friendly. 
<laughs> so I totally understand that. It's, it really is, because there's some horrible, horrible things that happen in Warhammer 40,000. They are. I mean, the stuff, because people keep doing, like, you know, okay, well, they sacrifice, like, a thousand um, psychers every day to the to the Emperor. Uh, there's lots of chaos stuff where they, you know, they take, like, women and, like, cut them up and sew them together and, you know, make them pregnant and they birth different horrible chaos things. None of this is kid-friendly. So let me ask you it, this, though. This is all yeah. in the fiction, the, the books and everything. Yes. If you could play the game and never know any of this, right? Uh, never know what that they did sacrificed a million women and cut them into pieces or whatever you just said. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, that's the thing is if you play Warhammer 40,000, you know, this, you Okay. All right. Yeah. I don't play 40 case. So I didn't know that. So you can't, you can't get away from <laughs> okay. it. It's there. It's, it's in the rule book. It's in your codexes. It's all there. Huh? Warhammer 40,000 is not a place I want to live, <laughs> ever. It's it's bad, bad, bad. But, I mean, I understand why they're doing this. It's You've got all these people that play the game, and they have kids. And they're like, oh, well, don't you want to play? You know, you know, you wanted to read about Pawpaw's, you know, Necrons or whatever. And it's like, well, here's a book that has them, and there you go. So it, to me, it's funny. It's like one of the the guys is an adeptus mechanicus acolyte. He's missing his right arm. <laughs> For the love of God, we cut off this kid's arm and put a robot arm. <laughs> Why? Because we can. You know, it's 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 a thing. It's like that's what we do. We chopped off his arm and put a robot arm on there. So this is what happens when you don't eat your vegetables. <laughs> yes, he didn't eat his carrots, and we cut off his arm. Uh huh. And now so, he's back yeah. for vengeance. Yeah, the, this happened. That I mean, that's another thing. It's like, what are the people that play like orcs or you know chaos or anything like that? It's like, no, you can't have a kids' book because that's not even remotely friendly. <laughs> so. You know, whatever. There you go. It's it's insane. And, and in fact, I'll link the uh, the Penny Arcade comic on it, where he's like, "I'm trying to make Warhammer 40k books for kids. I feel like trying to make Warhammer 40k books for kids might be very tricky. I have to be honest with you. Until I saw this announcement, it had never occurred to me that this unit, this universe, even contained children." <laughs> They have to find whatever the heart of the setting is, blah, blah, blah. The good guys in Warhammer 40K are a theocratic cult that has been engaged in a millennia-long conquest of galactic genocide. And those are the good guys. Yeah, yeah and those are the good guys. So, yeah. So there you go. Anyway, moving on. Uh, this thing a friend of mine sent me... And this is for Lincoln's War. Are you guys familiar with that game? I yeah, I I was aware that it was coming out. It looked interesting to me. I'm a little disappointed seeing the this story that we're about to talk about. So because the game itself looked interesting to me, um, part of what's 
uh, disappointing for me as well is that Worthington Publishing is getting pulled into this as well, although it seems like it's the other company that was at PCS, PSC, that's sort of causing the trouble. And I've got a few Worthington games, and you know, I was kind of looking forward to Lincoln's War thinking it looked interesting as well. The, what we're talking about here is Lincoln's War from yeah, yeah PCS slash Worthington Games does not have or doesn't look like it will have a vassal module. And I found this fascinating just in the sense of just, I mean, the, the thing with vassal period is just fascinating to me. The, the fact that you can essentially not even own a game and be able to play it online. But, and some companies are like, hey, look, no. You buy our game and you can play it and we're going to work really hard and make a module for you and so you can have it and we're going to approve all that. And other companies are like, you know what? No, we think this is kind of like piracy, so we're not going to allow this and we, we don't want it. And, so. and when you say some companies, I mean, G, GMT is probably the biggest name in, in strategic and wargaming. 95% of GMT games, that's a made-up number, but it's a big big percentage, have a Vassal module, and you can download the full rules off of the internet, off of GMT's yes. website. So you can they literally, everything is available to you to play for free. And yet we they still enthusi- keep buying these games. Why? <laughs> they enthusiastically support yeah. it. So, yeah. It's 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 the whole thing, and apparently with this particular company, they're kind of like, eh, no. I was surprised that there were actual companies that were like, no, you can't do it, and that is Avalanche Press and Griggling, which I didn't even know was a thing, <laughs> and I was very surprised that like Avalanche Press, you know, was against Vassal, but whatever. I mean, I. Technically, I understand, just in the sense of if I give you a downloadable rulebook and then you turn around and do the vassal stuff, you can basically play the game for free. But, I mean, vassal's big. I mean, that it's just kind of a thing. When you had this niche wargaming, uh, you know, thing, it's... You may, like me, you have trouble finding opponents, Mm -hmm. so you look to Vassal. And I've often thought about that, like, okay, well, I own this game, so I want to play it via Vassal. Should I even open it? You know, what if I just leave it sealed so I can, you know, predict the value of it? And then people are like, no, no, you need to open it up to get the materials to be able to play it online and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I love Vassal. Um, once I've got a big project to work that's going to be concluding this month, and that's one of the things I co- thought about starting up after the project ends as an addition to my hobby of playing games is learning how to create Vassal modules just because I've got some programming background and I thought it looked interesting. And there are a few games that don't have them. Um, we talked earlier this uh, D-Day at Peleliu. I was thinking, man, that'd be a fun one because there is no Vassal module for that one. And I thought that would be a great one to just have on the laptop and be able to play a solitaire game on Vassal. So, I don't think. What do you? I mean, Roy, do you have you played any Vassal stuff? No, you know, I have the the app, but I haven't 
I haven't done anything with it. I just, I, yeah. I haven't spent time with it. But I know you guys talk about it a lot. <laughs> yeah, and it, I don't play it, you know, anywhere near where I should. But, you know, there you go. So, interesting. So, uh, moving on, we have Red Alert Space Fleet Warfare. What initially attracted me to this, this is Richard Borg, and this is a um, Command and Colors science fiction game. And it's put out by P... PSC? S-C it's the same company game. we just talked about with Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I, I thought this was interesting, Command and Colors. Have you guys played Command and Colors at all? Yes. Okay. It's fantastic. How does that stack up against Memoir 44? It's the same basic system, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, all right. So Commands and Colors has Ancients, Napoleonics, and then there's Memoirs 44, which is, I don't know, I mean, it is Commands and Colors. And Mm -hmm. there's also a World War I version, and now there's this Space Fleet version as well, so. Well, then there's a Fantasy uh, Battle Lore. Oh, is that CNC also? Interesting. Yes, it is. Uh So, yeah, it's just, I've tossed it on here because it's, it's Command and Colors science fiction. So, so is this really is this in development? It looks like yes. It, it it's about to come out, which okay. I'm very surprised that they didn't kickstart it, but you know, whatever. And um Well, he is gonna yeah. be at Dice Tower Con. I'm I'm plugging again, although I see the tickets are sold out. Um so hopefully you know, maybe he'll have a demo of this that I could play too. And I'll report on. Maybe it's it's not out yet. Okay. But um, as as I can see here, looking at Board Game Geek, and um, yeah, it's not out mm-hmm. yet, but it's coming. I'll post this in the show notes, and I'm assuming it has it's still good. Yeah, I checked. It is still good. Uh, Warlord Games they produce um, a bunch of war games out there, but they've got rule sets right now. They have. I mean, I guess you would call that a sale. They're giving away PDF versions of some of their rule sets. Uh, Black Powder, Pike and Shot, and Hail Caesar. They're giving those all away for free. This is the same company that produces Bolt Action, uh, which is very popular. Um, But I picked all these up because they're free, and I thought, I'll just throw these on my iPad, and I'd love to to read these and see how they look. Have you played any of these? I have played um, Bolt Action. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I own Black Powder, Pike and Shot, and Hell Season. Okay. With with forces for all of them, but have not um, played. So cool. There you go. I will say it. It also includes uh, Blood Red Skies. It's a free PDF. That's right. Uh, that one's in there too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, locally, I've seen some movement toward like uh, Flames of War. And uh, we have a few players that do um, uh, bolt action, but have not actually got a game. So, yeah, there you I go. know there's a group in St. Louis that plays bolt action because I've I've seen them play it up at game night before. I mean, that's been the big thing for me. Period is just like you know, I never wanted to play 40k or whatever. It's like you know, damn it, I wanted to do like. World War Two historicals yeah. and yeah, so been a big thing for me. Anyway, uh, moving on. The last thing I think we had was Paradox board games are yeah, coming. Yeah, I thought this was hilarious. 
because back in the day there was a board game called Europa Universalis. You guys remember that? No. It was, it was. It was a board game. Uh took place in like, I don't know, 15th, 16th century Europe or whatever. And it was a pretty complicated war game. And it was so complicated that when they started when they started making PC games out of board games, that this was one of the earlier ones because there was a lot of math in the background and you know, computers are good at that. So they took this board game and turned it into a computer game. And I think they're up to version four of it now. It's a very popular PC strategy game. But now it's going to be a board game again. <laughs> so you've got these games, uh, Uni- Europa Universalis, uh, Crusader Kings, Hearts of Iron, and I think there's another one as well. These are all very popular computer strategy games that are now going to be board games again. So I just thought it was funny that it, they're, they're coming back around to their roots, and I'd be curious to see if the new one is going to, the new EU is going to be any different than the old EU. So, uh, I guess that wraps us up. And here at the end of the episode. And Roy, how can we find you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Roy Toy Cowboy. And uh, if you follow me, I'll follow you back. And uh, yeah, that's about it. I'm going to go to Dice Tower Con. And uh, that'll be the uh, beginning of July in Orlando, Florida. The tickets are sold out. So if you. Um, already have a ticket uh look me up or find me on twitter and we can meet up and play some games all right and rich how can we find you i am on twitter as well at trapeer jr um but the best place to reach me is probably stlwargamers.com and uh, last saturday of every month is our game day so if you are in st louis and want to play a historical strategy or war game please stop by all right and you know you can always find us at chanceofgaming.com Chance of Gaming at Gmail, Patreon, ex- Twitch, etc., etc. So, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Good night, everybody. Good night.